0: Hey, folks, and welcome to another episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn. Excited to be here today, and I'm really excited because of the guests that I have that I'm looking at right now. Of course, you know, as I do these videos, I, as I not videos, but as I do these podcasts, I typically am looking at somebody. If I'm not physically in front of them, then it's done virtually, and it's either done through Zoom or another program that I use all the time called Squadcast. But today, today is special because I'm joined by Stacy Mason from the Improv Lab. And uh, Stacy is up in Bentonville, Arkansas. And she's actually somebody that I connected with a couple of years ago. And I just kept hunting her down. And then we have mutual friends. And I think she's a good friend of, of one of my best friends, Mark Zweig. And she's also good friends with Anthony Sumlin. Big shout out to Anthony. Big shout out to Mark. Two very important people in my life here. Anthony is a new friend. Mark is an old friend. And those two individuals are also connected with Stacey. So there's always that, you know, six degree or two degree of separation in the world, right? You never know who you're connected with. So, But without further ado, Stacey Mason, welcome to I Am Northwest Arkansas. I'm so glad to have you on the podcast.
1: Good morning. Yes, this is a long time coming. Finally.
0: <laughs> it is. And, and I'm, I'm excited to do this. And just to kind of give some perspective to the listeners of I Am Northwest Arkansas, one of the reasons why I wanted to have Stacy on is because she runs the improv lab. She has she spent some time up at this you know small company up there working with a small company named Walmart and doing some other things. And, and she's done a lot of leadership work. And she and I actually have a very similar track when it comes to the type of work that we do. May not work in the same industries, but we talk about a lot of the same things. And so I thought it would really be fun to bring her on the podcast. I also thought, that I wanted to give a big shout out to the improv lab because I know that for me as a public speaker as just being able to speak extemporaneously being comfortable in my own skin and being able to share my thoughts and words a lot of that really became cemented and and became crystallized for me when I went through improv years ago and I know I don't look that young but I, but that old mm-hmm. but but I am 51 so I've been doing this for a while but I did some improv work back when I lived in California back in the back in my 20s and so I got a chance and a taste of it back then and I said you know it was really a game changer for me it actually flipped how I looked at and viewed people how I dealt with situations that I was in and so I said you know I should have Stacy come on to talk about the improv lab so that's a shameless plug for her organization but also just to talk about the importance of what improvisation is able to do for an individual. So it's not just this will make you better at your job. It actually will make you a better person, I believe. And so, you know, and that's a long-winded story of why I wanted to bring Stacy on as aside from the fact she's just a great person. And Stacy, I would love for you just to tell the I am Northwest Arkansas audience a little bit about yourself and as I told you before we started, I want to know your superhero origin story. So Whatever it looks like for you when you put on your cape and you go out and do amazing things, how did you get to where you are today?
1: Wow. You know, I'd like to pin it on a few things, but I think as as everyone else, it's a combination of things. I grew up with a bipolar parent. And so early on, I learned to pay really close attention to behavior. I became fascinated with personality, behavioral science, how people are wired, why you do what you do. And I didn't know that that was happening, but I think it was happening in the back of my mind. And so when I got old enough to kind of deploy that thinking in the work that I did, it sort of snowballed, if you will, and made it really apparent that... You know, this leadership development space, this helping people understand how they're wired, doing that in unique ways became where I knew I was going to end up spending my my career. It just took me a little bit longer to get here than I had anticipated, as it does with most people.
0: Right. Yeah, no, I know. It's it's so funny. I keep having this conversation with folks, especially people that are in their midlife. And of course, I'm not going to ask you your age, but I tell people that are between their 40s and 60s that this is prime time right this is the chance for you to really do some things with the idea that because of technology because of healthcare and everything else the chances of us living a really long life nowadays are much better than even what our parents could look forward to so or our grandparents for that matter so i think that there's a lot of upside and a lot of things that can be done and and so you found your groove especially with the the improv lab you started this in 2018 but you've been doing improv for a lot longer than that right
1: yeah Yeah, I started doing, you know, it's funny, I stumbled upon it purely by accident. I retired from Walmart in 2008 after almost 20 years, and I was just working on either things on my bucket list or things that I thought sounded exciting or interesting or vastly different. And I randomly took an improv class in Fayetteville through Theater Squared, and it was the most stressful thing I think I've ever done. And it was hard and, and horrible, actually, until it wasn't. It was so interesting. I'm super structured, super disciplined. I have a methodical sort of process in which right. I approach everything. And improv, as you well know, it's not any of those things. And so every class, every exercise, everything was just painful. It was so painful. A True story, true story. First class, we're going along and and it's it's hard, it's difficult. We go to break, you know, get a drink of water, check your electronics, whatever it is you need to do. I went to the restroom (laughs) and I'm standing in the restroom looking at the window going, I think I can crawl out that window and disappear and no one will know I've been here. But then I thought, you know what, crap. My purse Mm -hmm. and my keys are in the other room. But literally, if I'd have had my purse with me, I'd have been through the window and gone. It was the hardest thing I've ever done.
0: Wow. Yeah. No, I, I, you know, it's funny because I don't know that I had that same experience, but I was very nervous, even though I was always a freewheeling person when it came to speaking and things of that nature. But improv brought something out of me that I didn't know was in me. And there was a, a creative animal in me that was looking to come out. And I think we all you know, we all have that something lying right below the surface. And for some of us, it never comes out. You know, that's actually the sad part about it. Some people never come to this realization that you've experienced and that you've taken a lot of your students through. And I know that's actually some of the stuff that Anthony said was really a benefit to him going through your improv lab training. And, you know, big shout out, not just to to him, but to the training itself. Because I know one time I came and, spent an evening with you guys at the Black Apple and which is the cidery in Springdale. And they, you know, you guys brought me up on stage and I was comfortable with it because I had done stuff like that before. But, you know, it's it was it just reminded me of how electric it can be when you kind of are taken out of your normal everyday routine and thrown into something and you don't really know what to expect. But I got through it. It was perfectly fine, and it was it was so much fun. I can't tell you how exhilarating it was on that drive home after that that improv session. It was a lot of fun.
1: Well, first of all, Anthony is a, an outstanding human being. We were so lucky to find him and add him to the troupe. He he is amazing. Yeah. He is so good. But it is a it's a really unique feeling to be standing on stage with your scene mates or audience volunteers. And you have nothing to go off on except the audience suggestion. And it is still astounding to me to this day through just standing side by side with someone and a mere audience suggestion, what you can do with that for, you know, 5, 10, 20, 30, 60 minutes. Right. It still amazes me to this day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it literally is the embodiment of creating something from nothing. Exactly. (laughs) So it really is. Yeah, it is. So tell me, how do you kind of mate the leadership uh, stuff together? Because you have Mason on leadership. So you do leadership consultancy and then the improv lab. How do those two kind of dovetail together for you?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. What I really have is two vastly different sides of who I am. I have Mason on Leadership, which basically focuses on executive coaching. So one-on-one conversations with individuals who are trying to leverage what they're extremely good at and trying to minimize a few rough edges here and there. Usually that's done in conjunction with behavioral assessment. So behavioral science, again, going back to how I grew up and what I'm fascinated with. So those two pieces of the puzzle fit really nice together. It's very heady work. It's very... Intellectual, very strategic, very thoughtful, and I'm drawn to that type of interaction. So, on the other side of the scale, you have applied improvisation, and so that's what we do at the improv lab. And so, what that has allowed is it's sort of an innovative platform to have all of these leadership development conversations you want to have. You're just doing it through a different lens. So, If you think of every conversation that would require some sort of development in a personal or business construct, so think in terms of better communication, collaboration, innovation, problem solving, executive presence, being faster on your feet, agility, all of the the competencies that we want either people or organizations to have. We are getting to those conversations through improv. So we're using improv as a tool. To tee us up to these other things that we want to experience, we're just doing it through a different medium. Long story short,
0: yeah, no, I, and that that makes perfect sense. And and it, again, sometimes it's it may even be a more comfortable way for you to kind of develop the leader within you that you didn't know was there. Because I think I think we all have a little leadership. It, we all have a leader in us. It's just it sometimes it needs to come to the surface. And improvisation can actually help you bring that that inner leader to the surface if you will. So
1: Well, here's the interesting thing. What we're doing in improv and and I try to I try to minimize this word to some degree because I don't want it to think that it's fluffy, but we do play. We do a little bit of play. And what happens when people play is they forget to self-monitor. And when you forget to self-monitor, I see the truest version of who you are. That's the version we need to see because that's the version that you're going to show In terms of leading either yourself, your people, or the organization, we need to get to the truest part of who you are and figure out how that works to your to your benefit. Yeah, it it is. It sort of seamlessly happens without saying, "Okay, now we're going to look at you."
0: Right. Yeah, and and you know, it's so funny as you mentioned this uh, when you and you mentioned the coaching piece of it. I wonder. Because I I know that for the longest time, I didn't necessarily relegate the importance of coaching. I didn't put it in its proper place. Now, years later, I, I see coaching in a totally different light. We almost all need coaches. But what would you say to people that have heard about coaches and said, well, that's probably not for me because I'm not an executive or I'm not a leader in my organization. I mean, how do you kind of share that information about the importance of coaching and what it brings to light for an an individual, right?
1: Yeah. Here's the problem with the word coaching. It used to have a bad connotation, Mm -hmm. particularly in a Walmart frame. Years and years ago, old history, coaching meant you were sort of in trouble. You had done something that needed to be corrected. It was punitive. And then, you know, the world changed and coaching became terminology that meant We are proactively developing you for greater things. And so that's how I kind of use coaching terminology now. It shouldn't be reactive. It should be proactive. It should be setting you up for success and sort of eliminating hurdles before you get to them and they derail you. Right. One of the, you know, years ago, I heard someone say this and I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Counseling is archaeology, but coaching is architecture. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really nice way for people to understand the difference because, you know, people come in and they'll go, do I need to lay on the couch? And I'm like, no, no I don't think that's what we're going to do here. And so that's counseling. We're digging up the counseling. We're digging up the past and examining those kinds of things. That's, that's more, that's a different avenue to go down. Sure. Coaching is all about nuance. It is so much architecture and nuance.
0: Yeah, you know, and it's so funny. And I, I'm not a big archaeological guy when it comes to the counseling piece of it, but I I do like the coaching aspect of encouraging others to kind of be the best version of themselves and how do they get there? Because one of the things that we tend, I think, people tend to do is to dwell on the past, right, and to dwell on the things that maybe were caused them challenges previously, and that actually impairs or hampers their ability to step out of. Their own shadow and actually do something amazing. But like you said, I when you I resonate with that uh, coaching is architecture because when I think about architecture, I think about building something, you know, something from scratch almost, right? And I think it's funny because it's not funny, but as I think about this period of time that we're in, we're as at the recording of this, we are still dealing with the pandemic. A lot of people have had to pivot in their careers, have had to pivot in life, and do different things because they're just not, you know, maybe the the job that they had isn't is no longer there the industry that they were in is slowly dying and so all of a sudden people have to think about new ways to do what they were doing and and that's to me is where you know a really good coach is valuable or invaluable if you will in terms of helping you navigate those waters and figure out what the next step is not to worry about what has already happened yeah you lost your job or they're doing downsizing or yeah the pandemic really has messed a lot of us up but the reality is is what the future can hold based on what your potential really is. And a good coach can help ferret out some of that potential.
1: Well, it's perspective. You're yeah. sitting across the table talking to someone who has a different perspective from you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so I would imagine that you interact a lot with not just people from Walmart, but other other businesses locally.
1: Sure. That, that sure. Need coaching. Yeah.
0: What would you say are some of the biggest hangups that people struggle with right now that you're seeing? Like what is the, what is the one constant theme that you wish if people just could figure this out? They wouldn't even need your services. They could just kind of work it out themselves. Not that I want you to, to shut down your coaching business. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, what what are some of the signs, the telltale signs that you see over and over again?
1: Yeah. And these are in no particular order. A lot of the conversations are rooted in the same thing. As you might imagine, there are trends. I would say sort of understanding emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. I would say, and, and you can call this anything you want, but it's crucial conversations. How to, have, how to have a conversation that might be conflictual in some way. So it's either a direct conversation, a hard conversation, just something you're not looking forward to. People put those off. And the very fact that you put them off and you never do them means you never developed a skill. Right. And if you never developed a skill, you're never going to get better at that challenge. So that's a lot of it. I would say, actually, there is the number one conversation that I have. It's called leadership transitions. Mm. And this is the number one thing that stumps people is understanding that every time you change roles, that the new seat that you sit in, the landscape is different. And so what's expected of you is different. Where you spend your time and what you think about is different. But I I don't think those conversations are normally occurring in the world because Here's, what, here's the reality is, we promote people that are exceptional doers. Then they move to the next seat and they do what they did before harder and faster. Well, what the new seat requires from you is not what you did before, but it's, it's something different. And so, again, every time you change seats, you have to reevaluate that, what that looks like as you make that progression. And I would tell you, overwhelmingly, that conversation is absent from organizations. We're just not preparing people in those terms.
0: Why do you think that is? I mean, do you think it is because companies feel comfortable keeping people in, in a certain place and too much focus on what the future holds will limit the, the ability for that company to get the most out of that individual at the current state, state of affairs?
1: You know, I don't, I wouldn't say it that way. I would say two things. It takes a lot of time to lead people and it takes a lot of effort. And everybody in the organization is stretched. And so I shortchange people with my time and my leadership, getting them prepared for whatever. But whoever above me is shortchanging me as well. And so the cycle continues. And and very few people break the cycle and say, just because what I'm not getting from my boss doesn't mean I should do that to my people. And you have to stop the madness to go, I'm going to do for my people what should be done. And that is... Is rare to see. Um, again, it takes an enormous amount of effort. It takes an enormous amount of time to lead and train and develop people. And that's what's in short supply. And now, the interesting thing as you get to the highest levels of the house, the top of the house, that looks different. Yeah. But the lowest and middle levels of leadership, you're just repeating the cycle.
0: Yeah, I, I would concur with exactly what you're finding, even in the industry and in vertical that I work in. Primarily, which is the design industry with engineers and architects. One of the things that I tell design professionals is I, I give them license to be a leader. And one of the things I say to them is that being a leader means ultimately working yourself out of a job, meaning yeah. that you create an opportunity for somebody else to step into what you're doing so that you can then go on and do something else. And it might be totally different than what you're currently doing. Unfortunately, a lot of people hold on to something so tight because they don't want to let it go. They don't want to relinquish their responsibility. But real leadership is basically creating an opportunity for somebody to step into your role so that you can go and do something else. And I would venture to say that and every person that I ever press whenever we whenever I share that statement, people it's kind of like a light bulb goes off and it's that aha moment, like, man, I you know, I never looked at it that way. I just felt like I was just doing my job and I need to continue to do it this way. But no, there's actually something I really want to do, but I can't do that if I create a vacuum by moving out of my current position into something else. And the way you avoid that vacuum being created is by creating an opportunity for somebody below you to step into that, because that might be their their opportunity that they're really looking forward to.
1: Totally agree. It's the permission. And now it's the skill set to actually do it. Right. Because- the skill set looks very different. If I'm just leading myself as an individual contributor, that's one thing. When I get promoted and now I'm, I'm leading people, that's a different skill set. Then the next seat, I'm leading multiple people who are leading people. Right. And that's a different skill set. And then the next chair, I'm leading an entire function of an organization. And just you have to extrapolate what that means as you change chairs. Now most of these these folks are quite capable of doing it. they've just never thought of it in those terms, and so to have the discussion and set that emotion is generally what what the coaching brings to the table
0: yeah, yeah no it it makes perfect sense to you know to kind of think that way but and again, I think it is really a change. you have to be intentional about that thought process, otherwise it will never happen and that happens at when I say intentionality, I, I use that word a lot. It has to happen from the top down because if the leadership, if the C-suite isn't intentional about bringing about that change and seeing the progression happen, then it will never happen.
1: Agreed. So, yeah. Agreed.
0: so It's a challenge. So so what do you think about, and, and I mean, you've been here for a while. You've been here a lot longer than I have. I got here in 2014. So I'm a young head when it comes to living in Northwest Arkansas. What do you think about the progression and the change here in Northwest Arkansas? Because you've, you've seen it. You're not originally from here, right?
1: No, no. And uh, we moved here in ninety eight, nineteen ninety eight. 1998.
0: Okay. okay. So yeah, so you've got 22, 20, almost 23 yeah. years. I've got six years. So my perspective is much different than yours. You've seen, a, you've seen Bentonville change overnight from a small town to what it is now and to what it's about to be in the next few years when this yeah. new campus is built. What do you think about Northwest Arkansas as a whole?
1: You know, it's interesting um, when we moved here, it was just sort of a sleepy town. You know, Walmart was a big name. But but, but back then, Walmart wasn't sexy and sophisticated. That's, no. That's not what they hung their hat on. Right. You know, they were old school, you know, true to their roots. But today, it is fascinating today to see the change in terms of, you know, at some point, we're actually going to probably lead in innovation and collaboration, entrepreneurship, we're actually probably going to lead the nation at some point. I don't know when that's going to happen. um, Because we're drawing here the kind of thinkers that are interested in looking at the world in a vastly different way.
0: Yeah, I could not agree with you more. I've seen it. And my vantage point as, again, I've, I've got short time here, so I'm not a lifer, haven't been a lifer, don't know if I'll live here for the rest of my life, but I like it and I and I enjoy it. But one of the things that I have seen is that the, the people that are here that are trying to do things are really resoundingly here, right? They're, it's not like they're here, but they also want to be in Silicon Valley or they're here and they also want to be in LA. They want to do what they want to do right here in this backyard of, of the Ozarks, and I get excited when I talk to people like Charu Thomas from. They were uh, they just changed their name recently, but um, and, and and the name will come back to me now because it's um it's the name of a of, of a bull, but they oh man that's really bothering me now. I'll have to think about it for a second, but but you know when I think of these guys and they're like a startup and they do they do marketing they do work to make your whole online shopping experience much more enjoyable, especially for our personal shoppers that go into these different stores. And so they, you know, they have the most efficient pathway. If you put in an order for food, they know how to go through Whole Foods and they know exactly the most efficient way to get the 32 items that you want. And, and these guys created the technology to do that, to walk them through, they map the stores, they do all that great stuff, but, but yeah, it's uh, it actually it was called Ocologics and and now it's called. Yeah. T- yeah. Yeah, but Charu Thomas and and Tanner Green and some of those folks over there are really doing some amazing things. But their story when I had them on the podcast really helped me to realize that this area is in is in a state of change and it's real positive change because you have young people that are like, "You know what? I'm going to hang out here. I could go to San Francisco, but I'm going to hang out here." And, you know, they understand that, you know, they've got to do business on both coasts, but, you know, this is a good place to to start something that could really become huge.
1: Yeah, yeah. We are starting to draw some really interesting people to the area. You know, and that was one of the reasons why I finally chose to open space downtown on Main Street, which is nearly unheard of, which is phenomenal. But, you know, we started using sexy terminology like, you know, innovation and collaboration. And we started saying that we're going to have a, we're going to have a footprint that's more interesting than we've had before. And that was really sort of the catalyst to say, maybe this town is ready for what I do, because what I do is so, you know, if we just talk about applied improvisation, there's maybe only a couple of hundred people across the U S that do Mm -hmm. this. There's probably less than 500 in the world that do this exact work. And so to say that I can do that here and that I can fill classes and fill sessions and have people begin to understand what this work is about was was a real testament to we're not old school anymore
0: right <laughs> yeah yeah I love that and and I think you know this area is going to continue to grow it may be able to even support another improv troupe at some point in time you know because yeah. of the size of the area and, and all the opportunities that exist here but you're absolutely right I, I think that and I've talked to some people that you know you have some folks that have been here all their lives and they don't necessarily like the growth and the advancement that we've experienced. They like the kind of like the slow time aspect of things, which I totally get to. And that's one of the things coming from a, being a northeasterner coming here. Things are a lot slower to me, but still it's it's still moving fast enough that I see where, where the opportunities lie. Yeah. And I get excited when I talk to people about, you know, what the future holds, even just in the next 10 years, let alone in the next 20 years when they say we will probably double. Our population size to almost about nine hundred thousand people.
1: It's so insane.
0: It is. Yeah. It really is. It really is because it wasn't nine hundred thousand people here when you moved in yeah, so, ninety no. no, eight. we were this, still
1: painting everything snickerdoodle. Right.
0: Right. <laughs> this, right. This, yeah. yeah. So, so tell me, what do you when you're not you know changing people's lives through <laughs> leadership coaching and and improvisational work that you do around the community. What do you do to have fun here in Northwest Arkansas? What do you enjoy doing?
1: You know, that's a good, that's a good question because I'm, gosh, I'm just, I love to be home. I'm a homebody, but what would I be doing if I were not at home? Is that the question?
0: Yeah. And there wasn't a pandemic going
1: on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I would, I would be at Rick's Bakery, Mm -hmm. just about anything that they have. I would, where else would I, oh, I would be at Wright's Barbecue.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: That's the closest barbecue to Texas barbecue, which is – I'm a big – I lived in Texas 10 years. Texas mm-hmm. barbecue is like a thing. It's a cult, and so, so I'm into that. Yeah. I probably would be at, at some flea market antique shop looking at stuff, nothing that I need. But you know what? It clears my brain. It clears it from this other stuff that I'm doing, and I just dwaddle. Yep. You know, I would be at City Supply in Fayetteville. Same thing. Okay. They have a book selection that I just love. Oh, I'm a big reader, but I like unique books. And okay. They have what a was great the, book selection. What
0: yeah. was the last good unique book that you read?
1: Oh my gosh! God, I read so many. That is a tough question. Yeah. Um, I probably the one that I loved the Well, I've read a lot of Brene Brown lately, and oh and yeah, love Brene Brown. Of course. Um, but Malcolm Gladwell's last book about talking to strangers
0: sure, that's was a good.
1: phenomenal. Yeah. I think I underlined most of it.
0: Um, <laughs> You're one of those book readers. <laughs>
1: oh, no, I got to have a book because I'm like, I'm yeah. writing the margins. I'm highlighting. I'm doing all that. But yeah.
0: No, I probably, love that. Yeah. I love that. So, okay. Well, no, that that's good. And I, I love good books. And I think what Brene Brown's book was a daring greatly, I think was excellent. I thought that was a that was a really good book. And her podcast, which if people that are listening to this, if you because you love my podcast or so you like listening to podcasts, you should definitely check out Brene Brown's podcast. Yeah. It comes out once or twice a week. She's had some amazing people on there and definitely worth listening to. Now Malcolm Gladwell also has a podcast, which is really interesting too. He's a very unique character. Outliers was my favorite book that I read about him, that I read by him. But he is Blink was also good. I mean there's just been He's written a number of really great books. So we we probably are are have read some of the same books. But yeah, I, I love getting sitting down to a really good book. And actually my wife and I were talking because um recently, you know, she told the kids how many books she read in a year, and they were like, Oh my gosh, we you know, that was insane to them. And you know, because you know how kids are, they're like, oh, I don't, you know, the reading is such a chore to them. But my wife, she said to them, she said, Listen, I did not grow up being a voracious reader. It's actually something I developed as an adult and it is, it has been a game changer for me. And so, you know, I never thought I would be reading 25, 30 books a, a year and now I am. And, you know, and it's just, there's something to be said for that. So.
1: Well, it's funny with the, with the pandemic, I read 119 books last year.
0: Ooh, okay. You got me beat. I thought I was doing something. One hundred
1: and nineteen. Like now, some of them were pure escape and fantasy. I actually sure. learned how to read for escapism. I had never done that before, Mm -hmm. but mostly nine times out of 10, I'm going to read memoir. Yeah. There's something about someone's story and understanding how that plays out Mm -hmm. that connects you differently to people.
0: Totally. Yeah. I mean, have you read Chernow's Grant?
1: I have not.
0: Oh yeah. You got to read that. Ulysses S. Grant by Ron Chernow is amazing. And another good book I'll give you, which I think you would actually really like, and maybe you've read it, is Doris Kearns Goodwin's Leadership in Turbulent Times.
1: I haven't read that. There's so oh, many
0: books. I know, I know, I know. And, and it's I'm just kind of throwing it out there because yeah. for anybody listening, if you've ever struggled in leadership, the thing that I like about books now and what it's done for me, I, I actually look at books a lot differently than I did even when I was 25 or 30. But the thing that, the thing that I really enjoy about books is that, um, you know, it just... I just, I just enjoy them. So, uh, I mean, I just enjoy reading them and that's just the thing that, that really resonates for me. And I, I take something away from them now way more than I did when I was younger. And I think as you get older and you gain a different perspective, it just, it works differently. So, so yeah, so it's exciting. It really is exciting as far as that's concerned.
1: And here's the other thing about, about reading is it teaches you how to write. Right. Exactly. For those of us that are in this space, we spend a lot of time, you know, writing for publication, writing for journals. And it's an astoundingly brilliant platform. If you read enough and understand how voice plays out and how you can use your voice to have a conversation, it will help you immensely to be a better writer. And that's what it's done for me.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm I'm with you 100%. It it has helped me tremendously. So, I I really I really like getting into books cuz it has helped me cuz I definitely wasn't I wrote a lot in college. I didn't write nearly as well as I do now.
1: Exactly.
0: And so, you know, so there's hope for us all. So, if there's a 20 something listening to this who says, "Man, I'm such a poor writer." Trust me, I'm here to tell you, listen to what I'm saying, hear me now and listen to me later. You can be a good writer, just read more and it will eventually come together. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I highly recommend that. Well, you know, Stacey, this has been simply marvelous. I knew this was gonna be a great episode and I could go on and on and talk with you more about improvisation and all that. But if for people that wanna learn more about what you're doing, both on the coaching side and lead, from a leadership perspective, as well as with uh, the improv lab, What's the best way for them to get in contact with you?
1: Yeah, the best way to be to email me, which okay. is masononleadership at gmail dot com. All right. But if you want to just see how I'm wired and what I'm about, you can have two websites: masononleadership.com dot com and the dot com. Both of those will give you insights into the work that I do and how I approach the craft.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. I'll make sure we're going to put all this in the show notes. And and I think I had sent you a form to fill out too. And so uh, you'll, you'll put all your social media contacts in there. So people know how to reach out and connect with you. And definitely uh, please, uh, those of you that want to check out uh, an improv class and you, well, she's not, I don't know if you're doing, I know you're doing them now, but you haven't gotten out because you would do them in different parts of the community. You'd have those sessions like the one I went to at at Black Apple, right? So- not what doing we're
1: doing, that. Yeah, I'm doing classes now. I have an open enrollment class every month on Tuesday evenings. So okay. each month is a different concept or class curriculum. Mm-hmm. Uh, so still doing that. We've just modified it with headcount to, you know, to be more thoughtful. Sure. Uh, we still do third Thursday improv, third Thursday of every month. Okay. Uh, random people gather and we, we play, build okay. community, laugh, giggle, whatever it is that you do i still doing customized sessions for clients. Okay. Nothing really changed. We're just being more thoughtful about how we do it and, and exactly. creating more space in the room.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, there you go. I'll, I'll make sure that people have all your contact information in your website so they can go there and check it out. Maybe somebody wants to hire you to come into their company or they just want to come and spend time one one night uh, just going through the improv program. So yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. That would be awesome. So, well, thank you so much for joining us on I Am Northwest Arkansas. We really, really appreciate it. And we appreciate all that you're doing here in this community. So keep up the great work and, you know, let us know if there's ever anything that we can do for you.
1: Well, thanks, Randy. I am sorry it took us so long to finally get this together, but it was worth the wait. You have just been delightful. And I knew this would be amazing.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Well, folks, that's another episode of the I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast. To learn more about us or to read or download the show notes from today's episode, visit I Am You can listen to this podcast and sign up for our free newsletter to keep up with us and all things NWA. Sign up today. You can subscribe to the I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast wherever you listen to it. And please consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Our podcasts come out every Monday. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn. We'll see you back here next week for a new episode of the I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast.
2: Peace. We hope you enjoyed this episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas. Check us out each and every week, available anywhere that great podcasts can be found. For show notes or more information on becoming a guest, Visit im Northwest We'll see you next week on I am Northwest Arkansas.